When I moved back to Amherst, Nova Scotia after 15 years away, something had changed. Like many other towns, our local businesses and business people have been overwhelmed by large corporations and monopolies. This hurt the spirit of our communities. We lost our autonomy, our self-reliance, and our hope. So join me as I learn more about where we are now, how we got here, and what we can do to take back our communities. I'm Andrew Cameron, and Monopolies Killed My Hometown. So welcome back, everyone, to Monopolies Killed My Hometown. I'm Andrew Cameron. Today, we're back at the Royal Commission on Price Spreads report. This section, we're looking at industry and effective consolidation monopolies on manufacturing. And today, we're looking specifically at meatpacking. And this one I'm so excited about because it's so relevant to today. We're having a lot of the same issues, right? And so the meatpacking industry is, again, the same, the large-scale processing plants that butcher livestock for sale to us, the grocery stores and other markets. One thing I love with this one is Adam Conover from Factually Pod and the old show Adam Ruins Everything. He did a show on Netflix called The G Word, all about the good that government actually does. Uh, and they did an episode on the meatpacking industry that is worth watching. I've been really keen to talk about meatpacking for a few reasons. Well, first, the meatpacking industry in Canada and the U.S. is significantly consolidated again. According to Senator Paula Simons, 84% of the beef slaughtered in Canada is done by two companies, JBS and Cargill. Cargill is an American firm and JBS is a Brazilian-owned firm. In the U.S., 85% of beef is slaughtered by four companies, JBS, Cargill, Tyson, and Marfrig Global Foods. In Canada, pork processing is dominated by Maple Leaf Foods and the cooperative Olympel out of Quebec. And like AgroPure, it appears that Olympel is rolling up the pork industry as well. And so an interesting fact in a topic for future episodes, the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan was one of the key investors when McCain Foods purchased Maple Leaf Foods in 1995 to start consolidating the pork industry. So interesting fact, I'm just going to leave that one there. I'm also keen to talk about meatpacking because we're having a huge conversation in Canada about the rising prices of groceries and food. You know, the, our federal government actually called the CEOs of Loblaws Empire Metro in to speak before the Canadian Parliament. And while they were there, those CEOs were denying that they were profiting off of inflation. Meanwhile, you know, during this time, the rest of us are paying more and more and more for our groceries. And so, like I said, I'm interested in what the commission found when they looked at the meatpacking industry in the 1930s. And so what they found was in 1933, the mission found that the two largest companies, Canada Packers Limited and the Swift Canadian Company, had 85% of the sales in the meatpacking industry. Canada Packers had 59% and Swift Canadian had 26%. 85% of the industry in two companies sounds very familiar, right? Because in 2021, as mentioned above, it was JBS and Cargill that had 85% of the market. So I saw that my initial reaction was, ah, how things change, the more they stay the same. And so for me, just looking at that, I bet you the conditions in the industry today are the same as they were in the 1930s. And so the commission makes a point to highlight that Canada Packers Limited was created in 1927 by consolidating four other large packing plants. But Canada Packers is a holding company that didn't stop there. It entered into the creamery business the canning industry, cold storage, among other industries. And so we're going to come back to this corporate structure shortly, but this ties back into the discussion from the introduction of this section about the difference between large scale production and combinations, 
right? And meatpacking is probably one of these ones that you do get efficiencies with having a bigger facility. You're able to process, you know, more product every day or every hour, every minute. You're probably able to produce more and you can spread out your fixed costs over more quantities going through. But again, remember the issues that the commission raised with combinations is that the savings through a combination of advertising management, those sorts of things may not or tend not, they found, don't get passed on to the customers. So it'll be interesting to keep that in mind as we're talking about Canadian Packers Limited. So 1933, 85% of the market share was from two companies. So, I mean, if you listen to any of these episodes so far, you can probably guess what happens to everyone else when an industry is dominated by two companies. But in reality, in this case, it's really Canadian Packers Limited that dominate both of them. So those two companies use their power at the detriment of everyone else. So, for example, the commission found between 1929 and 1932, sales volumes fell about 50%. The return to the farmers fell about 57%, and the return to the packing company only fell 24%. And to me, that's market power right there. So the ability to shift sort of the price losses onto others is a show of brute force and brute power. In a competitive market, everyone should share equally or, you know, roughly equally when a market is hit that bad. But the commission determined that the dominant position allowed Canada Packers and Swift Canadian to control the price paid to the farmers and the price they sell to supermarkets and other customers, which again is essentially what was happening with bread and why we started this whole report and investigation. When I look back on it, being able to influence prices on both ends, suppliers and purchasers, is the only way you lose only 25% when the market is down 50%. And so the commission stated that the disparity in bargaining power between the farmer and these large packers is obvious and is referred to in a later chapter. But to a large extent, also the consumer is at a bargaining disadvantage and is in danger of exploitation as uncontrolled monopoly develops. And I think I see this impact, you know, around Amherst right now, right? Because there's a lot of farmland in Cumberland County. You know, Cumberland County is well known for blueberries, but there are a lot of dairy and cattle farms. Or should I say there were a lot of dairy and cattle farms. So when you drive out of Amherst towards Pugwash and go through a lot of the smaller communities that, which is the really a key farming area of the county, and fields that once had cows no longer with the cows, right? And this is the same as uh, I talked about my father-in-law and his farm in the banking episode. When you go out there, you pass many abandoned farms that once operated, but no longer are. And so for me, when you start losing a lot of the local farms, you know, you lose one first, the control over a local thin dependent on somebody else to get us food. But we also lose a lot of the resiliency in our food supply when food is always being processed somewhere else, right? And and I think I talked about it in the sense of that I looked at the dairy industry in Nova Scotia and we used to have a lot of independent dairy processing plants around. There used to be a Scotsburn plant in Amherst, uh, which is closed. Somebody's done a fantastic job with that building. But all of our dairy producers have been consolidated either by Saputo or AgroPure. And I'm pretty sure that all of our milk is now pasteurized and processed somewhere outside of the province. There may be one plant that I gotta go look and see and figure out if they still process it there. But that's not a very resilient system. And so when we lose a lot of the farms, we lose the people in those communities that drive the communities ahead. Right, A lot of smaller farming communities had churches, schools, community halls, volunteer fire departments. And there was a sense of community and there was a pride in the village or the area that you grew up in. But as the population starts to dwindle, the communities then start to lose those services and the community hubs.
the author Cory Doctorow, I saw him post once that consolidation breeds consolidation. And basically, if we allow any firm to achieve a dominant market position in one industry, their market power will spread and start to infect other industries. To me, that's a key point to remember as we talk about meatpacking, because this is the point where the consolidation meatpacking intersects with consolidation in the retail industry that we talked about in the previous episodes. You know, as Loblaws, Empire, Metro, Costco, Walmart gain more power, the meatpackers need to consolidate to be able to you know, stand up to Walmart, stand up to Loblaws, and negotiate a better deal for themselves. As the meatpackers consolidate, farms have to get consolidated so that hopefully they can then be able to strike a better bargain with the meatpacking companies. And so back to the report. So some of the things that the commission found that Canada Packers was doing in using their power to affect the industry was offering the same products to different merchants in the same town for different prices. And this is similar to the behavior of the International Tobacco Company, which we talked about in the last episode, where they had the preferential selling list. But with the meat packers, this was typically only done to small independent stores. Mass buyers and large purchasers were already getting great deals and prices. And if not that, they were getting advertising allowances or demonstrators, which again, we had talked about in the retail side. So again, this is how everything kind of interconnects and causes problems and spreads. And so what the commission found in 1933, the average profit on a pound of meat was half a cent. But they found that the price difference that were offered, the secret price differences, were almost three cents a pound. So basically, if you're a small business getting the most expensive price, you can't compete because the other bigger companies are getting it for three cents cheaper than you and you're only making maybe half a cent per pound. There's a joke that goes around, you know, I know I'm losing two cents a pound, but man, I'm going to make it up on volume. But that just doesn't work. The, that math can't work, right? So the commission found, for example, that a pork shoulder was sold to independent butchers for 11 cents, but chain stores were using it as a loss leader at 8 cents a pound. If the independent butcher was going to try to compete, you know, they're losing 3 cents a pound right off the bat. And the thing is, like with the Canadian Anti-Monopoly Project, you know, we're seeing this happen now. We've talked to local butchers and retailers that can buy meat for cheaper at Loblaws, Sobeys, Walmart, take it to their store, butcher it, and sell it again. And they can do that for cheaper than if they were to buy directly from their supplier. And how can we expect small businesses to succeed in that situation? And so now one of the things is I want to go back to Canadian Packers and its holding company. I sort of alluded to this in the episode on the introduction, but the commission asks this important question. Quote, what is the competitive justification of the packers venturing into fields foreign to the slaughtering and packing of meats? And so for me, when I look at this is a valid question for us to ask today. You know, why does that company need to be involved in that other line of business? And this is essentially the same question that's brought up in the introductory section, you know, which is really the difference between large-scale production and combinations. And again, remember what they found in the introductory chapter is that combinations maybe save money, but that doesn't get passed on to consumers in lower prices or producers or workers in higher wages, right? And they also find the combinations are detrimental. They may not implement new and innovative technologies or processes. And so when I go back to the report, the commission gives two thought-provoking examples from the Canadian Packers. First, they have the creamery business. So the commission found the company lost $38,000 in the creamery business in 1933, and that the creamery products were used as loss leaders in the chain stores. And the commission stated that Canadian Packers went into the creamery business by accident. They weren't planning on it. And so again, like in the previous sections we've talked about, Loss leaders in large companies that can afford to lose money in certain product lines harm small businesses. And the fact that the Canadian Packers company could lose $38,000 in the creamery business hurts smaller independent creameries. 
And again, consolidation, breeding, consolidation. If you're a smaller creamery losing out because Canadian Packers can subsidize their losses, you need to look at combining with another creamery to be able to withstand this or getting into other business lines yourself. So the commission found that Canada Packers went into the canning business solely to save on transportation costs. This way, Canada Packers could fill up their train cars with canned goods when they were shipping their meat products. Again, I bet you, like if we look back on it, this had to be done to again counteract the power of railroads and what they were able to do for shipping and the power they could exert because this made Canada Packers a larger customer. Maybe they could push back on the railroad companies. And Keldon has said, again with Camp, talking about that, he said, when you get into anti-monopoly discussions and monopoly discussions, everything always comes back to railroads. So now when we talk about the canning business, the canning business line that Canada Packers went into, they found even with the shipping cost savings, the canning department, the canning section of this holding company, still lost $50,000 in 1933. So again, if you're a canning company, you're competing with a company that's able to lose $50,000 because they're being subsidized by the meat packers. So you're going to be impacted again negatively. If you're the canning company, you then have to look at either consolidating or combining or doing something to be able to compete with Canada Packers in their meat packing business. So I think there's two key points about this whole thing that commission brought up. First, in the U.S., when the meat packers tried to get into other industries, the U.S. federal government just blocked them, said no. They just weren't allowed to do it. Second point the commission brought up is Canada Packers, the holding company, still wanted to get a satisfactory return on their capital. So the losses in the canning and creamery business lines had to be covered by other business lines. And with Canada Packers, their most profitable business line was the meat packing industry. So, and this is where it came in. And because again, remember, they had the ability to control what they paid to farmers and ranchers, and they had the ability to dictate what retailers were buying it for. So they were able to use that power to maintain their margins and influence the prices so that they made enough money on the packing side of things to cover off these losses on the creamery business and the canning business. So the commission was claiming that in the long run, farmers and or consumers paid for these losses in the side businesses because we were paying more for meat, right? And this gets back to, again, in the introductory chapter, the commission talking about combinations and how they're not good for farmers, they're not good for wage earners, they're not good for consumers. This is a good example how Canada Packers was using profits in one line to subsidize losses in another line. And again, we've seen all those, the damage caused by the losses and the predatory pricing and the loss leaders in canning and creamery. We know what will happen there. So not only we're paying more for meat, but we're losing out on, or we're having big problems in the canning and the creamery business, all because Canada Packers bought all these businesses. So I start thinking about combinations again, right? And I look around at, you know, in Canada, for example, with combinations, like we take Loblaws, you know, they have the grocery stores, they have President's Choice, they have Choice Properties, which is a REIT that owns their own buildings. You know, in Shoppers Drug Mart, there's no reason to have all these lines. And so one of the things is I think about in this context, Amazon, right? Like I think of Amazon, which essentially is, when we really get down to it, it's a combination. They have, you know, Amazon, like the marketplace, they have Whole Foods, they have Amazon Prime, AWS, Amazon Web Services, they're shipping, the transportation, all these sorts of things. And we've seen them use, we'll say predatory pricing to take out another company, right? We saw them take out diapers.com so that they use profits from one line to subsidize or take out something else, you know? And so 
like when we look at it, Amazon has to be losing money on every Amazon Prime subscription, right? For the 10 or 12 bucks a month, I'm getting way more value than that 10 or 12 bucks. Because with that, you get whatever free two-day shipping, which depending on how much you buy is worth well more than 12 bucks. But on top of that, you get access to Amazon Prime TV, which if you just go out and subscribe to Netflix, you know, that's 20 bucks. So ahead, one, you're ahead there. You also get Amazon Prime Music, which is... You know, if you go subscribe to Spotify, 10 or 12 bucks, right? So right off the bat, you're, you subscribe to Amazon Prime, you get Amazon Video and Amazon Music for free, which should cost 35 to 40 bucks plus all your shipping. So if Amazon's losing money on every one of those transactions, just like Canada Packers was losing money on the canning business and the creamery business, Amazon's not in the business of losing money anymore. So they're making it back somewhere else. Where are they making it back? How's that working? What line's covering it? Theory is that it's AWS. That's, you know, the power they have in the computing services, which they're doing a fantastic job at, is allowing them to offer these things like Amazon Prime, Amazon Music. But it's also, what are the other side effects that come from Amazon losing money on Prime, right? We know that these combinations are bad for producers, wage earners, right? So is this negatively impacting, you know, musicians, screenwriters, actors? What's happening on that side? What's going on there? Oh, don't forget Audible's in here too. They own Audible. So authors, are they losing out on that way? And I think this is what I want to take away from this episode and looking at this is one is discussion on meatpacking and the impact of the combinations there that what's it doing to our grocery prices. But the second one is, is I want us to start thinking at when we hear these combinations and we hear these things that we start going, are we sure? Or what are the downsides? What are the negative sides of these combinations? And is that what we want to happen anymore? Because like I've said in previous episodes, Businesses combine and separate all the time. Businesses sell off divisions all the time. Amazon could spin off Amazon Music. Amazon could spin off AWS. Loblaws could spin off shoppers again or choice properties. Or we can start separating all these out. And because I think, like I said before, Cory Doctorow's comment, consolidation breeds consolidation. I like to think deconsolidation will breed more deconsolidation. And that's what I want to see happen. Let me know what you think. Let me know if you're seeing the same sort of things or if there's other examples of services that are obviously money losers that we just don't know how they're being subsidized, right? Let me know these sorts of things. Otherwise, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app and check back in a couple of weeks. We're going to start talking about tractors and other farm equipment. So take care, everyone. Talk to you later. Main Street is struggling. Monopolies killed my hometown.